Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Our guest this week is Tim Volk. He's the architect of a highly successful entrepreneurial career that encompasses independent advisory, strategic planning, and financial services. As founder and principal of T. Volk & Company, a boutique advisory firm that specializes in assisting closely held businesses family offices, both single and multifamily, and family-controlled enterprises. He leverages his own experience in a successful legacy family business and provides prudent and trusted counsel to families striving to protect their enterprises and preserve their wealth. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tim. It's great to be here. Thank you. The subject of today's episode is a fun one. Legendary frontman Freddie Mercury. Born Farouk Bolsara, Mercury was a British singer and songwriter who achieved worldwide fame as the lead vocalist of the rock band Queen. Because of his flamboyant stage persona, to say the least, Mercury's sexuality became a fairly common topic of discussion in the media during his life, and it was one that he generally played coy with. For instance, in December of 1974, when asked directly, so how about being bent, which doesn't really get much more direct than that, by the new musical Express, Mercury replied, you're a crafty cow, let me put it this way. There were times when I was young and green, it's a thing schoolboys go through, I've had my share of schoolboy pranks, I'm not going to elaborate further. It's important to note the timing here as homosexual acts between adult males over 21 had only recently been decriminalized in the UK in 1967, so it's only about seven years earlier. Indeed, even through the 80s, Mercury often still kept the distance from his partner while in public. His personal life was, of course, much more complex than that as it usually is. In the early 1970s, Mercury began a long-term relationship with Mary Austin, who he met through guitarist Brian May. The two would go on to have numerous separate romantic entanglements. They remained inseparable through the years. Mercury often referred to her as his only true friend. In a 1985 interview, he said of Austin, All my lovers asked me why they couldn't replace Mary, but it's simply impossible. The only friend I've got is Mary, and I don't want anyone else. To me, she was my common-law wife. To me, it was a marriage. We believe in each other. That's enough for me. In 1985, he began a long-term relationship with hairdresser Jim Hutton, whom he also referred to as his husband. Mercury was diagnosed with AIDS in 1987. Hutton, who himself tested HIV positive in 1990, lived with Mercury for the last seven years of his life, nursed him during his illness, and was present at his bedside when he died. Mercury wore a gold wedding band given to him by Hutton in 1986 until the end of his life. He was cremated with it on. Mercury publicly announced his diagnosis the day before his death from complications from the disease in 1991 at the age of 45. Mercury Spencer donated to charity much of his wealth during his lifetime, with his estate valued at around £8 million at the time of his death. He bequeathed his home, Garden Lodge, and the adjoining muse, as well as 50% of all pro privately owned shares, to Mary Austin. His sister, Kashmira Cook, received 25%, as did his parents. 
and notably also owed 500,000 pounds to Jim Hutton. Unfortunately, Hutton had to use much of that money to relocate because Mercury had left his home garden lodge to Austin. She moved in and took over, giving Hutton about three months to clear out and find a new residence. As the first major rock star to die of AIDS, Mercury's death represented a landmark event in the history of the disease. In April of 92, the remaining members of Queen founded the Mercury Phoenix Trust and organized the Frederick Mercury, Mercury Tribute Concert for AIDS Awareness to raise money for AIDS research. The Mercury Phoenix Trust has since raised millions of pounds for various AIDS charities. The Tribute Concert, which took place at London's Wembley Stadium in front of a live crowd of 72,000, had an estimated international viewing audience of over a billion people. Mercury's sexuality, for good or ill, is one of the first things that comes up when his name is invoked. Though it doesn't necessarily seem correct to call Mercury closeted since he shared his truth with those close to him, he nonetheless felt compelled to keep it a secret to the world at large. Though we live in a more tolerant time, scare quotes there, many LGBTQ clients find themselves in similar positions as Mercury, both in terms of their sexuality and the non-traditional family structures that they set up. Tim, what are some of the best practices to consider when advising LGBTQ plus clients, particularly those who are closeted or only out to a select few? You know, it's a great question, David, because I think it's surprising the number of people who may not live openly as to their status, whether they're gay or lesbian or, or, or as such. And I find it interesting that so many celebrities uh, have really faced that challenge in their career, right? Because of the, the potential back, the backlash that they may get from being openly gay or openly lesbian and i think one of the challenges that that you have as an advisor is to be able to step in be able to gain that confidence with the client and that intimacy with the client where they're able to share some of these very very uh, important yet and intimate details of their life yet uh, they're very worried about how that may per be perceived as others. We we also see this with uh, executives in large public companies who mm. also keep their their sexuality pretty close to the vest. Um, I think that there there's been probably more in recent years, but even today, some of my brethren who are advisors to uh, families to clients have frequently said that many of their clients are still un, uh, not out with with regard to the public. And so it's difficult as an advisor to sort of, especially if you're new to the relationship, as to sort of navigate those waters. You know, it, it, it's a challenge, right? Because if I'm going to give you quality advice, I really have to understand the nuance around your life to be able to then plan for what we need to plan for. Mm -hmm. In a recent article that you wrote for uh, Trust in the States magazine, you uh, mm -hmm. compared, I guess, sort of you know, the normal world, or normal is a terrible way to put it, I guess, the, the traditional world to the sort of LGBTQ world, and sort of, I guess, as a clash of cultures almost, as, as any other sort of a, a New Yorker going to Oklahoma would perhaps have to adjust their behavior lest they inadvertently you know, insult somebody from a different culture. And it's the same sort of deal when you're dealing with an LGBTQ plus person or, you know, even within that designation, different, you know, types of people and advisors really can play an important role in sort of bridging the gap between these cultures. 
Oh, critical. And and in some cases, I think the advisors play a bridge could, could, can bridge the gap. Is that and the ability to help the clients and help the family that you're working with? In many cases, not everyone in the family may be aware of this or have it openly discussed, mm-hmm. and therefore. I think that, you know, I have a a belief that it was, and I think I referenced it in my paper, was that I had great advice from an older gay gentleman that when I was, my family, when I came out to the family and I was really outed by my little sister who overheard a conversation on a phone that I had with my now husband, but at the time boyfriend, and I was not out to anybody and she overheard it and, and it caused my dad to confront me on it. And, and, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that happens when that happens. And he just said to me, you know, give everyone some time to process this new piece of information or disclosure. And, and then people have to think about coming to terms with it for for the person who's coming out you've dealt with this for most of your life or for a long time let's let's say whether you've openly thought about discussing it you've there's been an internal conflict and yet you know if you're my brother and i come out to you and you had no clue it's the first time you've heard it you've got to have time to process i mean you just need to have some time to think about it and unfortunately I know you've probably never seen this in your in your law practice, but some people say things out of the moment at the moment that they really regret having said, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I just say to everybody, you know, let everybody process. Let you know, even if the things are said that aren't pleasant, try to let that be, you know, water on the duck's back. Let it just try to roll off because it doesn't necessarily mean that they meant it in the way that it was said. There, there are cases where it is. I mean, we, we know a lot of people that are disenfranchised from their families because the family has some belief that they just, you know, have disowned that, that member of the family, which is, as I referenced in the paper, causes, you know, some of the largest, I think the second most death is caused by suicide with young people between the ages 10 and 24 is because they're gay. So uh, we also see a large number of homeless youth that are gay. The preponderance of homeless youth are gay. And, you know, if they're on that path, it just creates a whole nother problem. So even if you come from a wealthy family and you're ostracized, you have, you, you may have a very different life ahead of you. So the advisor, if they're equipped correctly, may be able to bridge that, may be able to, to, to moderate that within the family. It may be able to get people to have a more reasonable voice. Yeah, and, and that's on both sides, right? I mean, both sides. to moderate both everywhere. sides. Because, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, I mean, you know, people who are finding out about the coming out can have, you know, very out of character reactions in the moment and can even maintain it for, you know, a period of time, if, if not forever, unfortunately. But the advisor can play the role in sort of A, helping with the, you know, planning around that, like, oh, okay you know, this person, maybe I, my feelings on this person have now changed for good, but also in sort of tempering that and says, okay, well, you know, they, they give them a moment. Like you said, like your friend told you, okay, don't cut them out of your will just yet. Don't change all your plans because, uh, you know, this was been a rough two weeks or whatever. Um, right. because you know, give that, you know, appreciate it for them that there's time to do that. And then it's the same for a client who, you know, my child has come out I'm very religious. I'm going to freak out and, you know, cut them out of my will. It's like, well, don't do that yet. You know, it's, this is, 
you know, the advisor can play an important role, as you've mentioned, in sort of being you know the voice of reason, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, when you sort of have clashes between cultures like this. But as the advisor, you know, we, we're talking about how difficult it is and traumatic it can be to be outed and to, and to come out. Um, <laughs> obviously, that presents a very difficult, we're saying, oh, well, the advisor can just help. That also is a very difficult test for the advisor to even himself find out about, right? You, the last thing you want to do is insult a client or accidentally, God forbid, accidentally out them. Um, so as an advisor, how do you even go about, you know, your clients are unlikely to march, a closeted client's unlikely to march in and just announce to their advisor that they're gay if they're not telling their family. So what are some of the steps, you know, what can an advisor do to try to like work into that area of trust that they suspect that perhaps a client is gay or, or living in an LGBTQ lifestyle that they, you know, can work their way in and show that they're trusted, that they can be trusted and that they're not going to, you know, out them to their family or, or that they can actually offer, you know, even if they themselves are not of that same culture can offer relevant advice still on, in your regards to it. It's a very interesting question perspective, because I think what brings to mind is that there are all levels of, of uh, situations that I think the advisors may face. It may be that, you have a, a older married couple and one of the, the spouses has decided to come out as gay and they have kids and grandkids. And it may be a process for, for them to sort of figure out and navigate how they want to preserve uh, their estate and take care of the people around them. There may be a very amicable, open discussion and then people are accepting uh, that is not always the case, as you can imagine. There are situations where there become a lot of hostilities. There are serious legal uh, situations where people have decided to try and withhold uh, access to the kids or grandkids. They've they've sued. There, there there can be some pretty extreme situations. It's not just the younger rising generation that we see coming to terms with it. So it's always interesting to see what the basis of that client is coming to you for. If it's, if it's a new client and they have hinted that there's a problem, it may be as simple as you asking a series of questions for them. And I outlined some of these questions in the, in the article I wrote. And one of them is just to be respectful and say, do you feel comfortable if I ask you a few more and, and, and these will be probing questions and, you need to trust that this space that we're in is a confidential space and that uh, I will keep your confidence. So <clears throat> I think that that helps. You You have to create a safe space for this client regardless, right? Yeah, these, aren't I, the sort, these aren't the sort of questions that you just hand them printed out on a, a form to fill out. No, because I think it misses the whole nuance. I think that one of the benefits to uh, having a high emotional quotient is your ability to reason and get people to understand that you're there with them. There's an empathy that people will sense from you. That empathetic part of you is what's going to help them get through this. I think if you're trying to be clinical and analytic, it's going to be more challenging for you to win their trust. And I think we see a lot of people in the industry who sort of placate that like, oh, yeah, I love the gays. <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god and then like tim oh we have uh, like a lady at the gym one day said you know she 
she was so cute. She's an older woman. She has lots of issues with her for physical being. And she, she uh, tapped my, I was working out in the middle of my lifting and she came over and said, you know, you need to work on that stomach. Nobody likes that. And I went over afterwards and I'm like, Mary, don't you know, you can't call a gay man fat at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and she says to me, Oh my God, you're gay. I didn't know that. My son's gay. His name is Rick. He lives in New York. Maybe you know him. I'm like, okay. That's <laughs> part of the network. It's like for the movie, I think Still Magnolias, I said all gay men are named Rick, Mark, or Steve, and all gay men have track lighting. And so there's this there's this perception of things sometimes where we just make these assumptions, right? And yet in the, re in the real world, you may not be able to tell this person is gay, LGBTQ. You may just not. I mean, and and they may be really seeking counsel on what to do. And they're very worried, particularly if there's a lot of money involved or a business involved, that their uh, inheritance, there's a lot of potential shame that they feel with it. Mm -hmm. So your ability to be empathetic and sort of talk with them, I think, becomes very helpful and a powerful basis to be able to, to move forward with them. Yeah, absolutely. And then some consideration has to go that to the point that you know, th this person not appearing outwardly to be sort of stereotypically of a certain community, that could be carefully curated to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. they, uh, there's maybe, you know, they, they just because, you know, this is someone who may have sort of grown up with the infamous kind of gay voice, but has taught themselves to speak differently because, you know, it was a actual danger to them. Um, and so that those are, you know, barriers that the advisor needs to be willing to break down. And that takes a certain degree of being willing to be open and, and to engage, you know, uncomfortable topics. It's helpful for, I think, the advisor to have some awareness. Um, I think a lot of times there's a misunderstanding to it that you may think that you um, are comfortable and well-versed in it, but you may start down a topic and easily offend somebody just from an easy, a comment because <clears throat> depending on that person's situation, whether they're gay or lesbian, male or female may just be that difference in how you talk to them in the sense of, of, of this. And I mean, from my own perspective, if you, and I'm from Wyoming, I grew up in a really hyper-masculine environment. Right. And the idea that, you know, you'd have this conversation just would freak me out many years ago because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think that it was harder for me to be around some of the people I knew were gay because I didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say because I want to say I'm gay. I am one. So one of the challenges with, with that sort of psychological place that, that you're at is that you, when you're coming to talk to someone in that place, it may be that you need to further understand more of their, their surroundings and what they grew up in. It's helpful to know more about the person. It gives you a little, gives you an opportunity to connect with them, right? Mm -hmm. Not go just for the legal piece, but tell me a little about your life. Tell me a little bit about what you like, what you do, what, how do you have fun? I think that might be another way to, to enter that zone of, 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 of comfort and trust to be able to then say, you know, do you know, you know, that if, if, if you have needs or, or that it would be different than maybe one of my traditional clients. And an example may be that a good example 
is a friend of mine whose practice is targeted to the gay community in the legal world, had a young uh, lesbian couple come to see him and they wanted to get married. And they were really struggling with the fact that the family had sort of forced upon a prenup. And the girlfriend who had come from money had never really told her new bride-to-be that she came from money. So it was a shock to both parties, right? So she brought the prenup to this friend of mine, this advisor, to go through it. Of course, he was not happy because the prenup did not follow the normal course of a prenup, which is you must disclose the assets that are available, right? Mm -hmm. And they assumed that there in this document that there was something like a $30 million dollar or $40 million available. And what they come to find out after the attorney stepped in and started to reach out to the family and the family's attorneys who were really bullying their client's daughter, right? That there's 10 times that amount of money in her trust. So here you have, when, when he had to tell her that, she felt... So the family had not really fully disclosed to her the level of wealth. She had not disclosed to her potential spouse any of this. <laughs> and, and then here you are as the attorney trying to say they're not treating you fairly in, in uh, dealing with this prenup anyway. So how do you think that winds up feeling for the heir to this family? It's so many secrets all coming out at once. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So here you have both everybody that's involved is overwhelmed. Even the parents who were directing this prenup, who probably had good intention, right? Like most parents, there's probably good intention. And that just, I want to protect my child and I want to protect the money. But we, but there is some, there are many better ways that could have been, this could have been handled to better, uh, 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 for a better outcome of everybody involved. One, they should have been having a conversation with their daughter about the level of wealth from the beginning. Two, there should have been an understanding and expectation of what the family wanted her to be able to do or not do with this money. And three, I don't know that the family meant to say they don't like this potential spouse, but certainly it's put everybody on opposite ends of the spectrum to it's going to be a combative relationship at best right now. And then you've also fueled a potential conflict between the two parties, which is the inheritor and the inheritor's new spouse. I know that's not a new thing, right? That's that, that handle happens in both the gay and straight world, but it's certainly uh, when you when the attorneys didn't fully disclose or follow the law, it made it feel like the family was trying to uh, circumvent that and also uh, cut the inheritance short or, or, or just wasn't maybe being honest with everybody the way they should have been. Mm -hmm. I think that really reinforces the uh, need to have these sorts of conversations and, and interactions in person as well. Um, cause I, th I can just speaking as, you know, a straight person who considers himself an ally and generally considers himself generally, you know, fairly comfortable with speaking about these topics. 
Mm-hmm. Yet every time I get on a podcast like this, I'm amazed at how much trouble I have speaking about these topics. <laughs> and even within this podcast, I'm sure I've insulted a ton of people inadvertently. I mean, I referred to the, the gay world as the normal world earlier, and I'm mortified about that. But clearly, you know, not what I meant. And I think just to bring that out of myself a little bit is that for advisors who want to be allies, it's important not to let perfect become the enemy of good. Um, where you're too scared to engage in these topics because you may not have the exact correct words. Um, it's important if you're in person and they can see, you know, even if you're not using the exact correct nomenclature and right words, people can see your sincerity and they can see what you're going for. And that often enough is enough to diffuse that situation. And it's better to bring it up imperfectly than to just let it sit there and not bring it up at all because you're scared of misspeaking. That's right. In in the case of the of the you know the the ultra high net worth market or the family office market, and, and to to close the loop on that last story, they went ahead and got married without the prenup. Yeah, interesting, right? Well, I mean, I think those sorts of things. It's in a vacuum. It's so easy to think about how important it is and how much financial sense it makes and all these things. But once you're faced with the actual human element of what this plan that makes perfect financial sense is doing to the actual people it's affecting well then you know it changes everything totally and we're if we play forward that i mean if if you can start the conversation then you can start to have a more deep understanding of how do you identify uh do you consider yourself out if not how do you identify to others are you uh out maybe to the close your your the 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 people that are close to you have you do you have a relationship is that relationship exclusive do you have a polyamorous relationship i always am surprised at that myself are you legally married if so where did you get married did you you know it's interesting because the irony is that legal you know gay marriage was legalized in 2015 but many of us have been together for many years prior to that so it was sort of a I don't know, non, it's kind of a non, it was exciting, but it also isn't like a normal courtship, right? Where you've got the dating and then this excitement to get married and, and then you get married and you start your life together. In this case, you kind of met in courtship, you started your life together. No PS, we're going to go get married now. (laughs) There's, there's definitely, you know, I know some people who've actually found it almost insulting to imply that they get married because it's like, we've been together 40 years. We're married already. I don't need your you know, ceremony or your you know, legal okay to tell me what my relationship status is. That's right. Um, and that can be a very difficult sort of, you know, thing to work around. And a lot of people who sort of had the ability to be married, you know, straight people, you know, take that for granted. And they don't realize, you know, the, how like, oh, it's great. You should just do it. It's like, well, you know, listen, like relationships are very complicated. And- We've had scenarios where even though they got, you know, the, the, the benefit to being married, I think it's a thousand and 11 or 1041 uh, benefits to being married legally, right? Uh, So much of the process is about you being able to make decisions on behalf of your other half, which would be most of the time, most people would think in a husband and wife, traditional uh, marriage situation that the husband and wife would be able to make medical decisions on behalf of the other person. With gay marriage and your marriage, you're able to do that. But many times beyond that, we would do 
all of the legal documents to give them medical power of attorney, mm-hmm. give general power of attorney, to give durable power of attorney. We would we would do things to try and provide that access. And I'm hearing today that many people are going back and executing those documents, even though they're married, because they're worried in some states they're not going to recognize the marriage. And we're worried about where this is going with the new Dobbs outcome. So you know, I think we're we're facing some new area, new times where I think this whole ability to be an advisor to the LGBTQ community is going to be more difficult. Um, yeah. or, you know, I, I don't think this is over yet. In other words, yeah. I think something that really is interestingly illustrated by sort of you know this long list of questions that you just ran down, which by the way is like only half of the questions <laughs> that you propose in the article, is that it has to hammer home the point. That you know, you you brought up jokingly the idea. I love the gays, um, and there is obviously no the gays. I mean, we're talking about the LGBTQ community sort of as a whole mm-hmm. in this podcast because that's just sort of the conceit that we have to make, right? To actually making this conversation manageable in a thirty-minute bite. But the point of these questions, the takeaway from these questions, is that the LGBTQ community is very much not a monolith. And so, and even so, before you even, and, and even within that, obviously, each person, you know, is individual. So, you know, these, you can't just, you can have a certain number of, you can't really just have like, this is my gay playbook. Um, at a certain point, you have to, like, once you get past these introductory questions, you have to start accepting that, well, you know, that this part of this community is, it doesn't react the same way to XYZ as, as this other part of the community. This part of the community may not like the other part of the community. Um, and those are things where you right. know, you can you, you can fall afoul of them, and it has to become a much more identified, much more uh, specific specific sort of conversation. And it can't just be like, "Here is my, you know, I'm gonna I'll run the gay playbook for this client." Right. The the, the diversity within the gay community, and I say gay community meaning all encompassing of the LGBTQ plus, is that it's a diverse community, and we're trying to put a lot of of uh, souls under one tent. And I think that we have to recognize that there's a lot of diversity and nuance to be in that tent, depending on who you're talking to. Um, I don't, I think sometimes we tend to focus on the negative and we, we try to speak to that to make sure people are aware and to try and help make it better. I, I do want to convey that things do get better over time in my mm-hmm. situation, a lot of the time, not all of it, but a, a, in our family, it's amazing to me how many LGBT, how many I'll call champions of the gay community we have. And it is, it is just so wonderful to watch how this process is, you know, families, cousins, uncles, aunts, people that may not have been as vocal supporting me at the time growing up are now much more supportive because there are children, grandchildren, even potentially great grandchildren. And I think that that changes everybody's perspective over time. Yeah. And I mean, that's where, you know, the, the coming out becomes so important, right? So that's why to bring us back to the start of this conversation is that the most effective way to change people's minds or to make them realize that they're being hurtful or being insensitive is by br- making it hit them close to home. And so you know, it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, because statistically, everyone's got some number of LGBTQ plus people in their family, probably more than you would think. Um, and so once you know, having helping them to realize that and not thinking that this is not sort of like a 
you know, a liberal Northeast thing, or, you know, these are these, mm-hmm. you know, you know, these strange, strange people who I can identify, you know, I know what they look like and I can identify them and they live these crazy lifestyles and they're going to you know, ruin stuff. It's just like, well, no, this could also just be your son that you love very much who you've passed all your values onto and who's exactly like you, except for this one other detail. And it, it's expressing that to people. And that's, that's why the, I guess the coming out process is so important and so important that it be handled with care. Um, because it is sort of the most direct way to change hearts and minds in a lot of a lot of cases. Exactly, exactly. I'm, um, and I think it's critical that we build, uh, uh, I'll call them champions like yourself. You know, our straight allies are really important in helping to make a, acceptance a broader part of our life. We, and it's interesting, we lead the world. Good, bad, right? We lead, we lead the world in LGBTQ <laughs> plus rights, and we're here, and so we see the fight. But imagine if we were in a foreign country, and um, especially one where there's a lot of oppression to that, and, and in many cases, it's uh, illegal to be gay. So we have to appreciate the good things that we've and the strides we've made. I think the larger part of our population uh, is accepting a gay marriage. I'm convinced that within the transgender community, that it is one of the more challenging parts for not only the straight community, but even for the gay community to embrace and understand. And so I think that's another level of, of uh, additional level of nuance and understanding that's required. And I'm not sure that everybody's equipped to be able to do that. In some mm-hmm. cases, you may have to find an expert in that area to help. And that's an important realization to make too, right? That if you're not comfortable or if you're not an expert in an area, the, the courage to say, I don't know, but al- but also to say, I don't know, and not, I'm just going to avoid it because I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't know, but I'm going to do something about it to help this person still. Um, right. you know, it's, very, it's a subtle but important difference. <laughs> the key here is if, if, if there's a life at risk and you have the ability to impact to save that life i think we never know what that life will go on to do yeah and i know it sounds a, li- a bit hyperbolic to you know talk about that as we're you know, nominally we're speaking about financial advisors here but it really is true and then the stakes are actually you know very high beyond you know dollars and cents yeah and they may be the only advisor people talk to this may <laughs> be the one time where they have to bring it forward because i think people are more likely to talk about sex than they are money you know, when it comes to their money, it's a very tight conversation. And so much of this can be, you could be opening a much bigger conversation than you're prepared to as an advisor, right? Absolutely. You know, and just to sort of, as we're running out of time here, just to sort of close things up, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've been tackling just an enormous topic here that we're just you know, not equipped really to didn't really do justice to in, in 30 35 minutes <laughs> yeah um but if we can just continue to be reckless with it and try to narrow things down even further i mean if there was just one piece of advice that you could give to advisors who like you know suspect that they maybe have gay clients and they're a little afraid to you know actually get their hands in there and reach out what, what would that piece of advice be take a deep breath be kind in your in your questions and conversation and know that there are a lot of other experts around you that you can reach out to for help. Absolutely. Great answer. Uh, Tim, I'd like to thank you for being a a fantastic guest today and for really tackling an enormous and difficult topic with us. 
My pleasure. It's been a, a, a true honor to be here. And thank you for the courage to talk about this. And uh, for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.